Hello, Tabernacle. Tabernacle, in case you didn't know, is a really, really old name for church. It's an OG name for church, in case you were wondering. And a church is a place where we gather for worship and then we scatter to do ministry. We gather for worship and then we scatter for ministry. My name is John, and I'm one of the pastors, and we want to welcome you, whether you're here in Buckley or for those uh, that are worshiping with us in Manistee, uh, at Manistee County, or wherever you're listening or you find yourself, we're glad that uh, you're part of our gathering. And when we say gather for church, uh, I want to promise you this thing. When we gather for church, it is more important than anything that is happening in the halls of government. I'm going to say it again so you believe it. This gathering for worship is more important than anything going on with world affairs or in politics or with protests or what have you. It's more important because when we gather for worship, we gather to praise God, to lift our voices like we're commanded to. We gather for prayer. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. We gather so we can bring our sacrifices of love back to God, our sacrifices of praise, our sacrifices of service, our giving. It's a place where we can do that. We gather for fellowship. I don't know about you, but I just love coming on a weekend and go, oh, he's still in it. Oh, she's still in it. Okay, cool. I can be too, right? The fellowship is important. And we gather for the preaching and teaching of God's word. And the reason this is important is as we gather for Worship, then that empowers us, that equips us, that encourages us, hopefully inspires us or convicts us to scatter to do ministry. And that's why I say it's more important than anything else that we can possibly do. This is life, this is air, this is breath. So whether you believe that or not, keep coming back and I'll keep saying it and try to convince you. But if you have a Bible, we're in our uh, study in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 14, and it's a rather long chapter, and I'm not going to read all of it, and that's not because I, I'm going back on what I always say, that there's no wasted words in Scripture, but in the interest of time, some of it I'm going to read, and then some of it I'm going to summarize for us. And it's a cool story. It's one of my favorite stories in all of 1 Samuel, and if you haven't been with us, where we pick up the story is God's people, Israel, is surrounded by enemies. They have a king, but this king isn't really known for having a heart for God or a heart of obedience to God. He's just kind of the guy that's in charge, but like most of Israel, where we're going to find him is he's hiding. He's not taking any sort of action. He's just choosing the way of comfort and safety. But God's raising up other people around him. And one of the reasons I love this story, it's because we meet one of what I believe one of the heroes of the faith, his son, Jonathan. And they're in a tight spot. The Philistines have massed an army, what it said in 1 Samuel chapter 13, that numbers more than the sands of the sea. They have heavy armor. They've got armored personnel carriers. They're threatening. They've already begun to send raiding bands against the Israelites. And these are the people that are in the land that God had given to Israel and God had commanded that they be driven out. So they're not just the enemies of Israel. They're the enemies of God. They're enemies of the light. 
They're enemies of the truth. They're the enemies of love, right? They're a warlike, cruel people. And that's where we pick up the story. So starting um, in verse 1 of chapter 14. It says, One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migran. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahedib, or Ahit, well, of Tub, um, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other Senna. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Geba. Now let's pause right there because what uh, we're going to learn about is the battle that's going to ensue at Michmash. And let me just paint the picture for you because, again, sometimes we read stuff and it's like, what are we talking about? These are old names. I don't know what's happening. Saul's got a very small force, about 600 men, and they're hiding. They're hiding in caves. They're afraid, right? And uh, where the outpost of the Philistines begin is on the other side of a gorge. So there's a rocky crag on one side. This is the geography of the land. There's a deep canyon or gully right there. And then on the other side, steep, almost straight up, that's where their outpost, their skirmishers are. And Jonathan says to a young man who is his armor bearer, which is like an aide de camp, right? It's, it's the guy he goes into battle with and who carries his armor. We'll talk more about that later. But he says to him, let's go over to the other side. And they don't tell anybody, right? So now I'm already excited because it's like a secret Jason Bourne mission. Some of you are awake now. Verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or a few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men. We will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us. We will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there 
was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. And that description in God's word is how the battle of Michmash kicked off. And it starts with the son of the king, the crown prince, taking initiative, taking his armor bearer and saying, let's go pick a fight. Essentially, let's go pick a fight. And I don't know if you love movies. I do. Sorry, you're here. You'll have to deal with it. Uh, One of my favorites, I think every man before he graduates high school needs to see Braveheart, right? You're not even there with me. I thought you were Americans. Even though it has to do with Scottish independence, uh, one of my favorite moments in the movie is, you know, Wallace, uh, 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 he's leading the Scots against the English and the English are the Philistines in this movie, and he's all covered in blue face and they have no chance. And if you remember the big standoff, he gives this huge speech about freedom and all this kind of stuff and everybody's with him and his buddy says, good speech. And then as the armies face off, what does he say? You know, as he turns right away, they go, where are you going? And he goes, I'm going to pick a fight. I'm going to pick a fight. And this is Jonathan. This is what he's doing. He doesn't get permission. He doesn't wait around for there to be uh, this big elaborate plan. He's motivated by something. And I believe he's motivated by his faith in God. He's motivated by his faith in God. And he brings the armor bearer, and the armor bearer was a, usually a younger man, and like I said, he was like an aide-to-camp of, of uh, some type of a military leader, and he was in charge of keeping his armor in good condition, making sure the blades were sharp, uh, doing a lot of the duties that a leader might be distracted from, having to do other things. But it wasn't just that. An armor bearer had to be trusted. An armor bearer had to be loyal. He had to be devoted an armor bearer played a part in the battle. And I don't want to be too gruesome, but you know, this is, we're talking, you know, not where they picked off people from long range, right? Uh, this is hand to hand, up close, bloody and gory and nasty. And in the fight, we even see it written right here. The armor bearer's job was to have the prince's back, to have his back. And as he went through the battle, and we find out that Jonathan picks a fight with a garrison of 20 kills them all. The armor bearer came after him, delivering the death blow to each one he defeated. It's interesting. And someday I hope to meet Jonathan and find out how did he know or how did he come up with that plan? Because the plan is a terrible plan. The plan is two against 20, but there may have been more. We don't know, but there's a lot more than just two. Not only that, but it's an uphill attack. Not only that, but this is how it kicks off. This is the summary of what I just read to you. He says to the armor bearer, I got an idea. Let's peek out from behind the rocks. And if they come chasing after us, we'll wait. But if they talk some smack and say, come up here and let's get it on, we're going to climb up this sheer cliff and then fight. So we're going to attack uphill, which is terrible. We don't have the high ground. And that's exactly what they do. They show themselves. The Philistine says, Come up here, we'll show you a thing. But remember what Jonathan said. He said, it may be that the Lord will work for us. In the New Living Translation and in the NIV, it translates it this way. Jonathan says, perhaps God will work for us. Now, he's not testing God. 
This isn't presumption. This is faith. This is a guy that says God doesn't have to, but he might. So I'm going to make a move. Because the God that I know, the God that I worship, the God that I serve, nothing will hinder him. Whether there's two of us or 2,000 or 200,000. My friends, that's faith. That's faith. Now, I hope to one day in heaven also meet the armor bearer. Because this guy had got to think that Jonathan was nuts. Hey, I got an idea. I got an idea, right? We're going to go uphill. When it says climb hand over hand, that's literally what they're doing. They're crawling or I don't know, maybe they're repelling like we do in modern. But we're going to go up this sheer face and then we're going to say, wait a second, I had to get my breath. And then we're going to fight and we're going to kill them all. The armor bearer's response. Did you catch that? Whatever, man, I am with you, heart and soul. Let's get some. And that's exactly what happens. And I don't know if you're reading between the lines there. there there's no like word from God. There's no necessarily like this is what you will do. Just on this radical faith. Jonathan and the armor bearer take a huge risk. They defeat the entire garrison. And it begins a panic of this enemy whose numbers are more than the grains of sand on the seashore. They start panicking. They start fighting amongst one another. We've seen that before, if you've read any other books in the Old Testament. And it says the earth quaked. Who's in charge of making that happen? I'm going to ask you again. Who's in charge of making that happen? God, the perhaps, that's the perhaps. Well, what happens next is uh, the battle proceeds. There's a huge panic. Back in Saul's camp, they wake up because they hear the panic. The outposts are watching the panic. Some of them go across to join the fight. Now, Saul, who'd been hiding in a cave, now Saul hesitates. He says, wait a minute, I don't know if this is a good idea. Where's the priest? Somebody, somebody get over here and we need to get express written instructions from God. Even though God had given them to Moses and then to Joshua and then all throughout the judges, but it still didn't matter. All of a sudden, the bro that we learned in 1 Samuel 13 doesn't really care about obeying God. All of a sudden really cares about obeying God. Let's get the priest. But then as his army joins the fight, he tells the priest, ah, forget it. And he joins too. And there's a full-on rout of the Philistines. It says in verse 23, So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. Verse 24, it says, And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now, I encourage you to read the entire chapter because there's all sorts of details that you can talk about uh, with your family or, or with your friends or a fight club or a women's Bible study or wherever. But essentially, when it says that the men of Israel were hard pressed, there's only 600 and they're pursuing the bad guys. And like I said, it's hand-to-hand combat. This is strenuous activity. 
But Saul all of a sudden starts issuing commands. Commands that God didn't tell him to issue. He comes up with this idea. He he makes a rash oath. He says, so they can all hear, keep it up, keep pressing them. Nobody stops until I'm avenged. And the oath is, I'll put you to death if any of you even stop to taste food. There's no snacking. There's no Snickers bar. You know, there's no little pick-me-up. Friends, this isn't because it's intermittent fasting and they're trying to lose weight, okay? In this century, at this time, these people didn't pack on the carbs and the excess food that we pack on. This is hand-to-mouth existence. So to go all day without food, that's a big deal. To have no energy, no calories, And it says that they were hard-pressed, and they're fighting. I haven't been in a lot of fights, but I'm always exhausted after. You ever notice that back in seventh grade? And so the Israelites, under this vow that their king made, this oath, this rash oath that he made, they're pursuing the enemy. And you know, it's it's pretty interesting to me that uh, people that don't do a very good job of obeying God's express law, sometimes get really good at making other commands that we all should follow. You ever notice that? That's a different sermon, but it's definitely worth chewing on. How many times you'll see a Christian leader or leaders or a church or a group of Christians that eh, they don't get that love God, love people down. They don't get the love thing down, but they come up with a whole lot of other things that all God's people are supposed to do. You ever notice that? Probably shouldn't camp there. And so the fight is on and Jonathan's out front and his armor bears out front. And as the story goes, they, they chase him. And, and in the evening, they come into a forest and this forest there was filled with honeycombs. And some of the honeycombs were dropping honey, and some of the honeycombs had fallen on the ground. And Jonathan, who's hungry too, remember, he kicked this off before dawn when the rest of them were hiding in a cave, like you do. Uh, he takes his staff and he dips it in one of those, uh, uh, one of those honeycombs, gives a little, you know, gets a little honey popsicle, pulls it out and starts eating it. And it says that his eyes brighten, and immediately all the people are like, what are you doing? You can't do that. And he goes, why can't I do that? I'm starving. He says, your father, they told him about the oath. And Jonathan sits here and says, you know, that was a dumb idea. Look it up. It's in the Hebrew. Paraphrase. He goes, my father's brought so much trouble. He goes, look how my eyes have already brightened. Come on, let's go get some more. And they fight on throughout the chapter. But then as it gets dark, Saul wants them to pursue all night. And I don't know what this battle looked like. I hope to watch the videotape someday. But right around evening, again, Saul decided to seek God's guidance. And he called the priests and he asked him to seek God's guidance. And the priests reported, God won't speak. And now Saul, and I keep pointing back to chapter 13. This was a guy who's the bent of his heart isn't about obedience. But all of a sudden, he's all about obedience. He says, why isn't God spoken? Cast lots and find out who it is who has sinned. And the lots were cast and it fell to the house of Saul. And then he says, cast them again. Is it me or is it Jonathan? And they cast the lots again. And God spoke and it fell on Jonathan. And we pick it up in verse 43. And then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. You see, Jonathan hadn't heard the oath. 
He was too busy out in front, full of faith. He wasn't hiding in a cave, full of fear. Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. There's almost a little bit of sarcasm. Really? Dad, I tasted some honey. In other translations, it says, and now I must die. He's ready. Verse 44, and Saul said, God do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. This is remarkable. This is remarkable. If you th- I mean, if you, did you catch what just happened? When he found out the truth, that Jonathan had violated some extra command that Saul had thrown in and didn't, he wasn't asked to, he wasn't instructed to, didn't even need it. God was already quaking the earth and routing the enemies. He's just adding on. He's after his own glory. Did you catch that? Cursed is the man. You're going to die. If anyone eats, I will be avenged. It's about me. Jonathan didn't even hear it. He owes this great victory to Jonathan. When it's found out, Saul's ready to kill his son. He's ready to follow through. And I don't know, maybe it's because he's like, well, a king's supposed to follow through. I got to look good. Again, it's about self. But at the people, the people, now that's a riot worth having. That one's worth it. No, bro. No. This guy has been working with God. You see, that's what happens when someone works in faith. They don't work alone. They work with God. He's been working with God. This is a great victory. And by the way, the victory would have been a lot greater without your stupid oath. We don't think we'll let you kill him today. And Jonathan is saved by the people. See why I like the story? There's a lot of layers, a lot of layers. And it goes on to explain that there was a great victory, but it wasn't as great as it could have been because of Saul and because of his faithlessness. In fact, the end of the chapter says there were even more victories. Saul had some, some valiant victories and God worked some of his purposes But it was because of the people around him, not because of Saul himself. And there's a little verse, the very last verse of the chapter gives us a clue with that. It says in verse 52, there was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. Men like Jonathan were courageous and full of faith. And that's what 1 Samuel 14 is all about. It's all about faith. It's all about faith. These are examples of faith. And there's also an example, if we take the time to look at it, of faithlessness. Jonathan is full of faith. 
Perhaps God will work. He doesn't have to. I'm not going to presume. But this is the God that I serve. Perhaps he will work. Nothing will hinder him. Nothing is impossible. You see, Jonathan, with faith, believed in God and believed in the possible. Saul, on the other hand, he believed in the impossible. See how I did that with those words? It's impossible. Look how many they are. He was about self and self-preservation. He hid in a cave. He hesitated. It was about his own glory or his own revenge. Think about the faith of the armor bearer. I love the armor bearer. I got a whole bunch of sermons going on in my head right now about the armor bearer. I'm with you heart and soul. He had faith too. He had to have faith not just in Jonathan, but also in God. He didn't have the same faith that Jonathan did. He didn't have the same initiative, but he was in it to win it. As they're climbing up that cliff to certain death. But perhaps God, right? What can we learn about faith? Many of us know that in Hebrews chapter 1, faith is defined for us. And it's a simple definition. In fact, all of Hebrews 11 is about faith and gives us examples of faith. And then when you go into Hebrews chapter 12, this part of the New Testament, it explains what our faith should look like. But the definition is right there in verse 1 of Hebrews 11. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And both of those words are important. The assurance of the hope. That means this is something I'm assured of. This is something I believe. Jonathan had faith in a God that perhaps might intervene and could do with a lot or with a little. It didn't matter because he was God. But it wasn't just assurance. It was also a conviction. Jonathan put his life on the line. Would your Convinced that something is true. Nothing on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or the news or the media or world events or local events or circumstances will deter you from it. You're convinced there's an assurance, there's a conviction, and with that conviction comes action. Action. Now, I believe that Saul believed in a God. He'd seen too many things to not believe that there was a God, but he didn't have the same assurance and conviction that results in action. And I believe you got to have both. You got to have both. That's real faith. In the book of James, it says even demons believe in God and shudder. Saul believed in God and shuddered and hid and hesitated and added. And made a mess of things. Yeah, I think for me, my favorite definition of faith is this. Faith trusts God and takes risks. Faith trusts God and takes risks. There's a lot of people that take risks, but they don't trust God. They trust in the Constitution They trust in government. They trust in their own strength. They trust in money. They trust in the power of their talents or their personalities. They trust God, or or they take risks, but there's no trust in God. 
And there's people that trust God or say that they do, but they don't take any risks. And really, they just have a belief. They, they have a belief that there's a God up there. Maybe they've said some prayers. Maybe they go through religious activity. But where the rubber meets the road, if we're really to follow them around all week, they never really step out in faith and do the things, even the simple things that God has asked them to do, to love, to forgive, to show grace, to serve, to sacrifice, to share their faith. I mean, they would never do that because that would require their image be it put at risk. Or they, you know, they might put their money at risk or their future or their retirement at risk. They may, you know, they might have less time if they were to really trust God and take a risk and obey the things that God were having or telling them to do, they would have less time to binge through the queen's gambit or Yellowstone, right? I mean, there's some really good Netflix stuff we've discovered during, you know, I just, I got, I, I just got to have time. I got to know what's happening. And so they fritter away their faith because they never take a risk. They never take action. And there's both in there. Faith trusts God and takes risks. Jesus was the greatest example of faith who ever walked the face of the earth. He trusted God enough to leave his throne, to set aside his glory, to set aside his place, to get up off his throne and come as a man. He trusted God to obey his parents. And to do things their way, even when they had bad ideas like leaving the temple when he was 12 years old, when he was already teaching. Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And they're like, we've been looking for you everywhere. Jesus, look, we know you created the universe, but you got to kind of submit to our rules. Fine, dad. And he went home and grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. You know, we forget about that. That story's in there for a reason. It takes faith to trust and obey your parents who are trying to honor God. Jesus trusted God and showed great faith when he was baptized. He never sinned, but he baptized as a model for the rest of us. He trusted God by keeping every bit of the law and never sinning. He trusted God great faith when he believed him in the garden that the only way was to go to the cross. He showed great faith when he died for us. Faith in God that he would be resurrected. He showed great faith when he told his disciples to go and make more disciples and establish the church. He showed even greater faith when he gave churches the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 16. That we could either lock the doors or open the doors for the kingdom by our individual and our corporate behavior. Jesus showed great faith. The faith that trusts God and takes risk. And some people, you know, won't like that word risk. Jesus never took a risk. Oh, yeah, he did. He loved me. He loved me first. He loved you. Church, I think the big lesson for us in 1 Samuel 14 is we're being called again. We're being reminded again to be men and women, to be students, to be children of faith. To trust God, to trust his word, and take risks. To do that corporately, to do that individually. You know, as I was thinking this week, who who are some examples of people who are trusting God and taking risks? The first thought that came to my mind were all of the ministries that we get to partner with, full of men and women who are trusting God and taking risks. 
You know, even in the middle of COVID, we did the big give and, and a third of that we gave away. But it isn't just the, the, the part that we gave away. And by the way, we gave it all away. Uh, but it's also, these are ministries that we've invested in. In fact, could we uh, just put that up on the screen? Just a list of some of the ministries that we invest in. And by the way, um, our team has worked really hard to update the website this week. If you go to thetabchurch.com, and you click on the little link that says outreach, you can get a list of all of the ministries and ministers that we support, that you support through our giving every week, through the big give offerings. These are people who are trusting God and taking risks to step out of their comfort zone and to love God and love people, to make disciples of all nations. And those are just some of the, uh, uh, some of the ministries. Mosaic Church. That's an inner city church in Detroit that's still trying to figure out how to make ends meet in the middle of a pandemic. It's not just us, you see. It's not just flyover country. It's inner city Detroit people. Freedom builders. I mean, this, this is a ministry that God just miraculously brought across our path, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. Skip Brown sitting right there here in the Buckley campus. Don't look, Manistee, but... Uh, He's the founder, director, president, hands-on guy that helps connect the church with housing needs right here in northern Michigan. We support them monthly. Ministries like Echo is Love and Manistee, Love, Inc. in this part of Michigan. Shunem House that ministers to missionaries. And all of these ministries, you can, you can like I said, you can go on the website and and, and figure out, hey, how do I pray for them? Hey, I want to get their newsletter. Hey, I want to give some extra money to these people. Why am I showing this to you? Because these are people, including this one, tiny developers, these people that are trusting God, taking a risk, stepping out of their comfort zone in faith. To do what? To push the kingdom forward. And you know who the tabernacle gets to be in all this? We get to be the armor bearers. We get to be the armor bearers, right? One of the names you might not see is here right on this uh, next slide. Part, part of the big give we sent to uh, the Midland Free Church. The Midland Free Church. That's an evangelical free church in Midland, Michigan that has responded to the flood disaster uh, that happened in that area in the middle of the summer. And this is some members of their church that are loving God, loving people, doing what Freedom Builders does, but doing it over there. How cool was it that we were able to send them a chunk of money and says, you know what? We got a lot of stuff going on here with tiny developers and freedom builders and Echo is love, but here's some money. They're putting in a floor in someone's house, someone's house that doesn't even go to their church. Is anybody fired up about that? And we get to say to them and those other ministries, we're with you heart and soul. We're with you heart and soul and dollars. Because that takes great faith. And it's not just ministries, it's ministers. There's individuals that are trusting God and taking risks. In fact, can we put up the list of, of, of those that we were able to bless? Graham and Lori West, they, they serve uh, with, with sports ministry. Keith and Rhoda Ackerman, this is their church home. I'm not going to tell you where they serve because of security purposes. But we got to bless them. Dean and Linda Hulse, right? They're up in the UP. They've got a redneck outdoor, you know, killing deer ministry. Anybody fired up about that? This guy wears camo for Jesus all the time. 
right? These two are pastors. And my point is that as a church, we want to be a part of people stepping out in faith. One of those uh, missionaries that I'm, re- I'm excited about all of them, you could tell, but this next one, if you'll put that up there, uh, Brandon and Gabe Hearth. I don't think they've ever been to our church. You don't know them. But that's uh, Brandon on the left and Gabe on the right. And those are um, his parents in the middle. And they're lovely two little kids. And that picture was taken on a rooftop in Bangkok, Thailand. They're trusting God and taking a risk to raise. They got to raise over $150,000, I think it is, a year so they can go be missionaries in Thailand. And the reason they're in Thailand is because from there, Thailand is a little light of freedom in what's called the 1040 window. 1040 is longitude and latitude where the majority of the world's population live and where there's the highest percentage of people that don't know Christ. And the reason they're in Thailand is because they can, shh, don't tell anybody, impact all those other countries. And that picture right there, they, they, they were able to go last week and finally get to Thailand. They have to spend, I think it's 16 days in quarantine. So they're staying in a hotel, getting a COVID test every day, can't leave the room. But after passing like six tests in a row, they were allowed to go to the roof one hour a day for the next six days. One hour a day, they get to go to the roof outside and click a pic and send it to us. Have you had a tough week? Have you had a tough week, a tough month? I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm trying to point out that the kingdom rolls on. That the battle doesn't stop. What matters most, furthering his kingdom, his church, making disciples of all nations, it's still going on. So what about you? What about me? What about us? What about students? We're called to trust God and take risks right where we are. It's not just through our giving. It's at school. It's at your work. It's in your neighborhood. It's in your home. It's with your parents. It's with your children. I feel like a broken record, but it's stepping out with what God's calling you to do. Trust him. Perhaps he'll do something. Perhaps the earth will quake. If I finally get over myself and I finally get over my image and I finally get over what people will think of me, when I finally come out of hiding, when I finally get over my fear, I'm over time, but I'm going to keep going. So we have three ladies that are trusting God and taking risks at both campuses. In Manistee, it's Amy Lapp. Here, in, here at the Buckley campus, it's Jessica Sprunger and Christina Simon. And they're trying to rebuild and retool and restart a children's ministry. But the problem is, is is as much faith as they have and as much trust that they have, it means nothing if they don't have other armor bearers that say, I'm with you, heart and soul. Now, that's as inspiring as I can say that. Don't make me use guilt next week. Trust God and take a risk. You know, I know some people love to say, that's easy for you to say, John. Is it? I have served in children's ministry. I'll do it again. 
But I believe God has given us all the people and all the resources that we need. We just need men and women, young and old, that'll say, use me, use me. And I know there's things like gifting and there's things like calling and there's things like background checks. Get over it. Trust God and take a risk. You know, there's men that have been invited to Fight Club and have said no. There's men that I've invited to Fight Club and then in the next few months they left the church. They're like, I'm on his radar. I'm out. <laughs> True story. I feel terrible. I asked this guy two weeks in a row to be in Fight Club and he stopped coming to church. What level of fear is there? Are we not men? I could go on and on, but I wonder what God's saying to you. I wonder if any of your resolutions have to do with prayer, have to do with scripture, have to do with serving, have to do with giving. Or do they all have to do with how many pounds you weigh or how much caffeine you drink? Church, there's something more important. I said at the beginning, the most important thing is the gathering of God's people and her scattering to love God and love people and make disciples. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that with all my heart. Will you trust him and will you take a risk? The band's going to come and we're going to sing. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for the example of Jonathan in the scripture and for the men and women and ministries that are Jonathan's right now in the midst of all the uncertainty of 2021. They have all the reasons in the world to pause, to hesitate, to stop. And yet hand over hand, They're trusting you and they're taking risks. They're scaling the wall and they're getting after it for the kingdom. God, I thank you for the men and women who are armor bearers. That are with them heart and soul. I thank you for the privilege as a church to in some areas we're trusting God and taking risks. And in some areas we get to be an armor bearer serving others who are taking great risk for your kingdom. God, I pray that you would give us faith, men and women and students, that says perhaps God, maybe this God will shake the earth for us. God, would you help us to step out, to not hide, to not hesitate. God, most of all, I thank you for the example of Jesus, his faith, and the fact that he calls us to put our faith in him and him alone and nothing else, just in Christ. He's the reason, he's the inspiration, he's the example. And Father God, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And if you agree, say amen.